Radio Primavera Sound, powered by SEAT. Welcome to the weekly review live or taping from Benidorm, where the Primavera Sound Weekender is taking place here in this wonderful Robin Hood magic camp. This is the show where two grown men try to make sense of a world in disarray by keeping up with pop culture with the help of a bright young mind. Today, ladies and gentlemen, we go hardcore, or should I say, hardcore. That is right, ladies and gentlemen, we are taping here from this wonderful winter festival and we have the man of the era, Danny L. Harl is with us here at the Weekly Review. Danny, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for what you're doing. You have, even us, Ben and I, we're of a different, we're of a certain age. And All right, Johan. <laughs> <laughs> the medieval age. We're of the medieval age, you know. Yes. All our all our pop cultural references don't really resonate with the young kids. We try to talk to them about nah, nah. indie music, yeah, shoegaze, yeah, yeah, yeah. and stuff. They're like, what, what? But we understand hardcore. We're all on board. Um, Mark, take it away. What's your first question for Danny? You. <laughs> <laughs> okay, <laughs> throwing me under the bus. Okay, so. First of all, to me, Harlecore, sorry if I'm butchering the name in English, um, is the, like the moment, the 2021 sounds like this and it has never not sounded like this. Like, thank you for putting into words what I didn't know was happening in my head to me. Like, it made so much sense and I was like, oh, okay, now I know. Like, now it makes sense, now I feel safe, I'm not the only one thinking this whatever yeah. whatever it is but of course to me it references um music from when i was little um so like music he was also little that's the thing yeah so like the machina music that yeah, you're yeah, going to do once I, little <laughs> surprise <laughs> yeah. um but uh, yeah like crazy frog all of this i i was so young um it was the music that was happening but also like musica machina in Spain and I guess in other places, in other forms. But um, in that time, it was like uh, asso associated with um, young people who didn't know much what, what they were doing with their life, maybe like a classist thing. Like I remember my mom think, like not allowing me to listen to this music like, oh, this or is for people. Or to go to the parties. No, well, I was like, like eight, so <laughs> oh. I was not good. But I, I remember like, associating this music that was super fun but at the same time with like oh that's music for people that i don't know they they, they don't know they don't know what they're doing with their life mm -hmm. it was kind of a negative thing mm -hmm. it was not something you would be proud to say but now with your your music and everything you do it's it's not this stigma of 
Mm. I don't know, like... Um, Music to look down on. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The cultural baggage is gone. Yeah, what, what has shifted? Have you done something from Is it all you? your fault that uh, ha ha happy hardcore and happy house is all of a sudden... I hope so. I hope it's cool all thing. my fault, but it's, it's not really my fault. But first of all, thank you very much for saying that about uh, the, the album. Um, I appreciate that a lot. And also, I know what you mean in terms of like associating it with certain sort of types of music that sometimes don't get taken very seriously. Mm -hmm. But, and, the, and, the, and this is a thing that I've faced a lot in my career of like, of, of people think that I, that I, that it's that sort of like all a joke or something. When in fact, actually I find a lot of music that is meant to be taken as a joke, actually quite uh, emotional to listen to. Like? Like the instrumental section in the hamster dance song. I'm not sure if you're aware of it, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it goes da 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 and then a harmony comes in, and it's fucking sick. And I do a remix of it. Thank, thank you very much. Thank you. That was an exclusive for you. But no, no, so that stuff like that, I, I listen to that, and I just think that is really good music that I like to listen to. And so I, do, I sort of do my own version of it for my life. So there's just something in just the sounds that I really like. And also just like the instrumental sections in say a Venga Boys track, or in fact the instrumental to a Aqua track or lots of like Eiffel 65 and Italo dance. And of course, where I think a lot of this music comes from the Machina, Bacalao, Ruta sort of traditions. Like I think a lot of this stuff comes from like legitimate sort of sources and, and has been, and, and then sort of like found its way into a kind of like, a, a, a kind of like cultural world in in sort of European music, especially in the way it was seen from the UK as as a joke, when in fact it has quite serious origins and also is actually just very good music. Yeah, I did think. You, did you have to go through a process? Like, was there a time when you were like, no, I can't, I can't listen to Eiffel 65, and you got through that, and you're like, oh god, actually, yeah, never in my life, and I've always, I've always found the idea the the idea of the phrase guilty pleasures very difficult to understand i've never really had anything like that and it, 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 i feel like people often use me and my music as as some kind of like channel to mm -hmm. to, to sort of like indulge in all of their guilty pleasures because i seem to be some sort of bastion <laughs> of not giving a fuck about guilt being completely guiltless and it all just being pleasures in that sense but, but the thing is uh, sorry in uh, UK is quite hermetic when it comes to listening to sounds from outside of the UK because it is responsible. The music, the, the United Kingdom music industry is responsible for so many genres: post-punk, indie, electronic, UK garage, etc., etc. And the only European country that kind of managed to import or export their their local stuff was the Dutch or the Belgian mm -hmm. with. Uh, 90s hardcore. Mm -hmm. How did you come across Spanish Machina? Well, well, there's already there's a type of music known as Machina in the UK already. In in the north of England, in Newcastle, in Wigan, it, it, there's there's a tradition that is known as Machina, and it's because of these sort of this relationship, and they call it Machina in some areas <laughs> as well. And there's um, and but it's because of this sort of like ongoing flow of like sort of trade and tourism that's always been happened very historic between the UK and Spain that I think that this sort of like this this sort of cultural exchange happened but in the UK when you refer to Machina music it actually refers to music that's uh, sort of like 
at 180 BPM minimum with a northern man rapping incredibly fast over the top of it, usually with some kind of euphoric vocalist in the background, and it's fucking sick. And nobody knows about it, and it's so good. I recommend, like, yeah, Jason Brown, MC Corky, incredible rappers all around. And, yeah, and uh, it's, it, it, it's already a thing there. So that's actually probably where I found, heard that word first. And then sort of just doing research, I found out about its origins and then realized where all this electronic music was probably coming from. But, yeah, no, so it's sort of, it's kind of like already had a sort of interesting presence in the UK in a sort of, like, oddly translated way. Uh, those kind of clubs, like the kind of hardcore clubs in the UK, I find are quite sort of closed off and into their own thing. Has your has hardcore been played in those kind of clubs? Have you seen it? Have you DJed there? No, it's sort of like occupied its own space for the time being. I'm always interested in expanding it into these new in, into these new areas, but. Initially, I was very interested in it sort of like establishing its own culture first. I've always been very open about all my influences and in every interview I've talked about like the main influence on the project, which is this Glaswegian DJ called Scott Brown, who is just an absolute genius. Like it's very openly influenced by this kind of music, but its origins are actually in these club nights that I set up in like different areas of the UK and then in New York and LA like where we just played the music that I wanted to listen to which was basically not being played anywhere else in those kind of areas um, and so it sort of developed its own culture and then, and then I found myself writing music for these club nights and it's like it happened very organically like a lot of uh, like nightclubs develop their own music like the New Monkey is actually where a lot of Machina music comes from um, and Wigan Pier the Hacienda Club, like a lot of, uh, and, and Bacalao, which is obviously a series of clubs. It's like often a style of music gets associated with certain places. And sort of this night began to be associated with this music that you could only hear if you went there. And so then I realized that it kind of had to come out as an album. It was the music of, the, of Club Hardcore was, was the idea. And then sort of like this immense concept started sort of building itself in front of me. And I realized that was the only true way to present it because... I don't actually think that just like lots of types of rave music are very satisfying when they're just uploaded online. I, 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 it's just the wrong context for them, I think. And I sort of wanted to present, present the context, like give people the context for it, like in the listening experience, in the visual, in the video, to sort of give it a sense of place. Um, so the sort of like multi-room club of the mind was kind of the natural conclusion from that. Yeah, yeah. Well, you've been spending some time in Barcelona. I managed to see you at Busterraza. Shout out to the, the Guillem and uh, Pablo. And uh, you've made an incredible kind of collaboration with someone who is part of Spanish Machina history, which is DJ Pastis. Pastis! <laughs> DJ Pastis! I mean... How did Binga that? Familia. How did that happen? You know, I mean, DJ Pastis is like 60 years old now, or I don't know what his <laughs> age is, but you know, he was around when I was still doing my. He's DCSEs. one of those people that could be 30 or 90 or 60. <laughs> exactly, he's a legend. He's yeah, a living yeah. legend. 
How did that collab- friendship come to exist? And and you know, was it you? We were set up. It's sort of a, my the hardcore project inspired uh, my friend Pow, who who does a lot of this sort of thing with Primavera, and it, it was him who put us together. He put us in the same room. I can't speak Spanish. He can't speak English. But he was just playing me records, and we were just literally like miming like how we were feeling <laughs> during the records. And he was going like. Like like goosebumps on his arms, and and then, and then we were like when there was sort of <laughs> these like violins were playing, and he was just going like we were just like miming the instruments <laughs> to each other, and then like I just started making music on the computer whilst he was just playing me like records, just sort of like uh, to sort of like add to that world, and then I was just thinking like it, Pastis is obviously very famous for like being on the mic during his sets, like he's he's one of the most fearless DJs I've ever seen because he's so he's just very prepared to just turn the music down and just like just scream or talk just directly with the audience with like no music playing like very few DJs have that kind of like like that sort of that power to be able to like not hide behind music his personality is actually bigger than the music that he's playing like yeah there's there's, that's a rare quality I think and also to have three synced turntables at the same time DJing with his foot and nose whilst screaming at the audience. That was quite something to see the other night in Nizza. On vinyl. Yep. On vinyl, on of course. Vinyl. Of on course. Vinyl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But obviously it, his story is never separated from Buenri. It was always Pastis and Buenri. Pastis and Buenri. How come Buenri wasn't part of this get-together that you've There's been orchestrating? A, a big chance that Buenri might be involved in the future. Like a ah, big fan yeah, of yeah, exclusive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. News. Okay, we have an exclusive. No, that Pastis wasn't exclusive. Wendry. It was just an idea. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Should we have a listen to a little bit of music quickly? We can lie here on a mountain, me and you. Can you feel it? This is something new. I can see your heart's been broken too. Just lay here on a mountain, me and you other night with DJ Pastis oh, and nice. I saw the nose thing and the shoe thing with the vinyls yeah. but one thing that caught my eye and other people um, who were there too at the is, Apollo yeah uh, it's, it's the, the the scene that that was happening because not only is like you there's something in time shifted from thinking that Musica Machina was only for young people who had no future and had nothing else to do, and now it's something for everybody and, uh, mm. and we all enjoy it. But it's also something that it's not associated with um, toxic masculinity mm. and very violent guys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, there was kind of, uh, kind of a, the, 
you thought of hardcore and and you think of very violent guys in festivals and they are all like mm. very extreme but when you listen when i listen to your music and when i went to apollo there was nothing of that mm. and i don't know what what's the difference and a friend of mine wrote uh, an article talking about the night and she said and the night was for the girls and the gays mm. and it was for the girls and the mm. gays like all all the audience was uh, it's not the the same thing and i no. it's yeah. like hardcore and hyperpop is a safe space yeah. for everyone mm. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah yeah and yeah. i i don't know when you were doing the album you had that in mind or it came naturally or what do you think it allowed for everyone to feel so attracted to it and, and not a specific type of audience that maybe you wouldn't want to... Yeah, no, well, it, it, okay, so I, I absolutely love that that has been a cultural impact of my music. Yeah, it is. I, I wish it was my intention for it, but all I'm making is the music that I want to listen to, in all honesty. <laughs> like, that is like... To, 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 to know that I've contributed to something like that is very important and, like, incredible to hear. It's like, yeah, all I, but all in the end, at the end, all, all I can make is what I want to listen to, which has been a problem. At, uh, there's been pros and cons throughout my career of just being able to make music I want to hear. But that is definitely like one of the, be one of the best things about it. Um, yeah, no, it, it's, it's an interesting one though, because yeah, hardcore music, especially in the UK, not especially in the UK, like Makina music as well, that, that, is like in its original fan base, this sort of very toxic masculinity. But I definitely think, and I know from talking to a lot of the original DJs and, and people who were involved in the scene, that there is like a secret, very like feminine core at the heart of that toxic masculinity. So the reason why like all this early hardcore attracted these kind of like very like men who wanted to prove how like, like big and strong they were, um, it, it is because it always had this like very beautiful like female vocal at the center of it but because it was like almost encased in this very aggressive kick drum and these very aggressive mm -hmm. chords it, it provided a weird like safe space for toxic masculinity like for these toxic males to feel emotions it like was their only time to feel emotions and basically what i've done is like taken that emotion and like made that the main thing and like allowed everybody to like feel that emotion i've sort of exploded that side of it and sort of because it's been so long since that original scene appeared it's just uh, it's just appealing to people who like that emotional center of the mm -hmm. whole thing there's not that cultural baggage there's not that same sort of culture associated although yeah in certain cities when i was playing hardcore doing the european tour i was told if you book like certain djs you will get this old tradition of hardcore fans and they will come and they will destroy your night so i was just like fucking okay. hell so i did i did come up against it at some point but then i was just very strategic in terms of who i booked for that night it was yeah i've, I've never actually like had a clash between the the, the old and the new cultures yeah. Yeah, like the sort of like basically rave revival and the original rave crowd in that sense like it's it's, it's always been quite a sort of easy distinction up to this point so you were aware of it like you, when booking like the the people you were you know like you were different you were doing something different because you know your audience was not that so yes exactly yeah yeah, yeah. it was in amsterdam that one <laughs> Ooh. Like, and they were like yeah if you book this dj you will get skinheads at your gig and i was just like sheesh absolutely <laughs> not my yeah, yeah not my scene <laughs> 
how's it going to cross in other places? Because like, in Spain, I know they've got like Macina in Amsterdam, obviously they've got like massive kind of hardcore scene. Have you found something like that in most countries or do you ever go to a place and like, what the hell are you doing? Mm, mm, mm. Um, there's always a community that likes it. But some places like Spain have a lot of music that, where, that, that were very closely related to the influences of this music. So there's like a sort of like real understanding of the sort of heart of the project. Um, like there was, and there were certain songs that went global that everybody sort of related to. So, so in some places they will just know it based on a few songs that sort of went sort of viral globally. But like, I feel like, I, I do feel like there was a relationship between my music and, and the music of Spain. <laughs> it, it, it's hard, Spain's controversial thing to say, but like this sort of like this region. And it's like, because there's always a sort of melodic center to it. If, even if you look at like where, like the, the way, Machina music works as opposed to like hard dance from other countries. There's always a melody at the heart of it. There's always a melody like on top of the beat. Whereas if you look at music from Germany, from Holland and the UK, they're, they're kind of like hardcore rave music. There wasn't as much emphasis on the melody until like the early 2000s. The, the, but, but if you look at sort of Machina music from the early 90s, there's, there's this like, there's always a sort of emphasis and a love of melody at the heart of it. And that is what, that's what I think my sort of like key kind of like relationship with it is. I think because I love melodies and chords and basically like feeling emotions at the end of the day. <laughs> You've obviously done a lot of songwriting and production for big pop artists. Do you think you might get to a stage where like a big pop artist is asking you to do a whole call type thing? Uh, that has already happened, yeah. Charlie XCX? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, uh, but, well, the thing is, I only work with people who like my music already. So it's like, it, it, they usually know about what I'm doing. They say, like, can you put, like, a kind of hardcore thing on top of this, that kind of thing. It, 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 it already happens. Like, I, don't, I can't work very well with people who don't know about my music already. I don't, and I can't DJ very well to people who don't know about my music. This is, and this is the fault. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure, you know, there's a few people who might have been to some of these gigs where I was just like one of these bookings on a, at a big club or something like that. I've usually like cleared the floor at these nights. Like, it, if because I only play what I want to listen to. I'm not able to be like, like, I was very lucky. I played a night once in um, Brussels that, where it was just like, uh, it was a kind of like Bergheim style situation in that room. It was like a, a sort of like sit, very serious techno atmosphere. And I, I, I think I opened with, I think I opened with like Fly on the Wings of Love. Just like Fly <laughs> on the Wings of Love. <laughs> yes. And <laughs> beautiful, beautiful. And, and just, just to like establish like this is the vibe now. I'm sorry. Like this is what I'm going to do. And luckily like the tone changed and everyone just became like incredibly like euphoric from being like very serious techno. That was a big surprise to me. So uh, luckily I kept the mood of the club, but by doing that kind of thing, I've, I've cleared as many dance floors as I've filled because it's just like, yeah, this is, this is all I can do. I can only do this one thing and that's what I want to hear. Well, Danny, you're a classically trained musician, you know, and you come from a family of, 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 of people who, who know how to play instruments and stuff. But you have said that you're more interested in using electronics to develop your language in the future. But surely, do you ever feel the, the sort of thought of taking the hardcore concept with a kind of live setting of having more musicians on stage? I'm personally really not into that. <laughs> I really don't. I, I, I always think these, like, when they have, like, uh, uh, there's no offense to any of my friends that have done this, but when they have, like, this, like, 
uh, this artist with an orchestra. I just think it's just a worse version of the original songs. It's like this reverence for orchestras we have. Like if it wasn't regarded as high art, I'm not sure people would actually listen to that stuff. Like a lot of these like original composers and stuff, people associating with like high art, if they were around now, they would be writing for electronics because all of these composers have always written for the most modern instruments that are available. They, no one ever uses instruments that are from, no, no one in the tradition pre 19th century wrote for instruments that are 150 years old. We have a sort of very unique, strange, reflective, nostalgic culture that holds classical music at this very like reverent status. It's, but it's just simply like not, it, it, it's just a, like a strange form of nostalgia, which can be like, like fun to wallow in, but it's not actually like a proper, like as far as I'm concerned, serious way to like consume music. I see it all as on the same plane. I see the instrumental section as Hampstead, of Hampsterdance in the same place that I see Beethoven's Fourth Symphony. It's all the same. I think we should put another song. Yeah. I think they're, they're dying for another song. Rob?
there's my rucksack somewhere safe. Uh, right. Sorry. Um, I, I kind of have like a weird question, <clears throat> and I don't really know how to ask it because maybe it's it just doesn't make sense. But um, would you consider yourself mainstream or potentially mainstream? And I'm gonna like give you a little pretext of what I'm trying to ask you because. I've obviously um, hardcore, but also your background in PC yeah, yeah, music yeah. and uh, uh, everything about it, hyperpop, everything is kind of intrinsically um, underground. So it's it's not mainstream. The obvious answer would be no. It's kind of underground. That's the the fun of it. That's mm. that's the, the the core of it. Mm. But I feel like. As I've been saying this whole episode, there has been kind of a shift and everyone is maybe a little bit more unhinged than we were before. Mm. And and we are all listening to these uh, artists that like you, but also Caroline, Sega mm. Bodega, mm. All, all the people that were in the Twitter picture that we all saw um, in oh, yeah. the Charlie XCX <laughs> party or I don't know who it was, but... I, I think it was Sega who tweeted like um, a big day for annoying people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm annoying people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I feel like we all feel special because we um, love you. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> but wow. at the same time, if we all feel special for listening to Underground, mm. if we are all listening to it, it's mainstream now. Mm. So Daniel Harl is mainstream. Danielle Hall is mainstream. I fucking wish I was mainstream. I'm sorry. Like, like you have to. That's the funny thing. Everyone talks about like hyper pop or whatever. Like using the word pop all the time, saying that certain artists like are making pop music. I don't think people realize the word pop stands for popular. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like surely, like or, I mean, obviously that's been kind of lost in the in the sort of etymology yeah, of the whole thing. Totally. But like that's very much like. Right, pop music isn't really a genre. It's just whatever's popular, like always mm -hmm. by definition. And that, like, if there's anything that defines pop music to me, it's like clarity of of, of gesture. Nothing else really has like been the prevalent thing in terms of of genre in, ter in terms of pop music, apart from like an, a, that pendulum pendulum mm -hmm. shift between like yeah. people wanting stuff that sounds like fantasy than people wanting stuff that sounds like reality. But in this in this pendulum, that yeah. in my head all is. The, the timeline of history, mm. I feel we're in the Baroque era, mm, like mm. in the extreme of the pendulum. Yeah. So it makes sense that you, Pink Panthers, yeah, um, yeah. all these people that maybe wouldn't be like the normal mainstream or the normal... <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I mean, this should be being filmed right now. I'm Ladies sorry, but this is like this is yeah, yeah, I know yeah, this yeah. is He's a real. trooper, look at him. He's like, look at our cameraman is like basically next to some kind of tropical island cataract, <laughs> like the Niagara Falls. <laughs> This is amazing. It's like being at a, like, a museum or something. This is what it was like oh in 2021, God. trying to film a radio show. Oh God, somebody film this. Live. <laughs> don't, lose the, don't lose the trail. Yes, Mark, continue. Um, yes, I feel we're like, it's, yeah, professionalism. Um, okay, so yeah, pop music. Yeah, we're music. kind of in a Baroque era in which yeah, it yeah. makes sense that, and also the popular meme pages on Instagram, I don't know if you follow them, like, on a downward spiral, um, junk world, I don't know, all these like weird images, mm, affirmations, mm, and mm. it's a big flashy image mm, with, mm. I'm feeling mentally stable today. Mm. And when you see this meme and you're listening to 
um, Arca or mm-hmm. you or mm-hmm. Pink Panthers. Mm-hmm. I feel like we're all doing that. It's not just oh underground people who know a lot. It's not no, we're all a little bit crazy. So now you're mainstream. Now mainstream is underground. Do you understand? Or I'm just crazy. Okay. <laughs> so like I think in the community, like in the community you're talking about, that is true. But in terms of like the way that the actual demographic of actual pop music it's pretty much the same as it's always yeah. been dare i say yeah maybe and i'm biased yeah like it, f- it can feel like this like in this community of like that photograph you saw the the great day for yeah. annoying people one like it can feel like that's the entire world for some people especially if you're on social yeah. media a lot but in fact i'm i'm sorry to say it's not it's not so <laughs> and there's a big world of pop music out there that i find absolutely fascinating i have to say and and can and am obsessed with there's like always like if you look at like what is selling out the stadiums in your country, it's not the things that you think are the biggest pop acts. It's like other stuff. There's like this whole other sort of like mm-hmm. bubbles of culture yeah. going on all the time. It's a very complex world we live in. So it's like it's it's hard for me to say if I'm mainstream or not. I actually don't think that this that this idea of underground and mainstream really exists anymore because basically what happens is someone like Pink Pantherist comes through. They it's presented as under. It's like underground passing. But in fact, it's but like, it's not. it's not really. And also like the idea of selling out isn't really a thing anymore because there's this sort of like, uh, everybody's sort of like sold out to the idea of it being like just kind of like basically the only way of like functioning as a musician. So it's just like, it's the, the values surrounding the idea of, uh, the values and capacity to exist as an underground artist are, are so hard to cultivate these days with the internet. Even if like hypothetically there was an artist that didn't do any social media, if anybody found out about that, there would be like 10 major label A&Rs at that gig just to like try and like commodify that no social mm-hmm. media person as soon as it happened because they would understand that there's nothing more attractive than that. So it's just like, it, we do not exist in this era of underground, overground, wombling yeah. free. It's just yeah. different bubbles. Yeah, 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 that's, yeah, yeah. You're, you're totally correct. Yeah, it's just, I live in my bubbles. I'm an egomaniac, so. I mean, <laughs> aren't we all? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. I want to ask, you seem to be someone who understands pop music, who's a big interest in pop music. What big acts are there that you just don't get? There must be a few you're just like, I don't understand why this band is so big. Uh, no, I understand everything. <laughs> I mean, I don't get, I don't, I mean, there, there must be one. Come on, like Red Hot no. Chili Peppers, do you get? Yeah, I love them. Really? My first ever bass line I learned was Give It Away. That's fucking sick. The boo-doop. Come on. It's sick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm a bass man. I slap the bass. You bass slap Lord. the bass? Yes, I certainly do. That's true. You, yeah, yeah. you, studied, you studied classical bass. Oh, look at this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In I fact, did. No, I had to because I had to do it as my classical, uh, as my uh, entrance exam to study classical music. I played uh, like Bach's cello suites on the bass guitar. And you still kind of jam on your own? Just oh, yeah. I was, I was at uh, the Roundhouse with Caroline the other day in, in London uh, playing bass along to uh, Look At Me Now, the Caroline song. That was a lot of fun. That was crazy. Everyone just sings along. All of Caroline Polacek's audience are all so like precise with the way they sing along. It's very, it's very unique. But it means that there, there were people I know who were at that gig where it was just like I couldn't hear any of the s- songs because everybody was singing exactly in time with Caroline and in pitch. <laughs> exactly. What's happening with Caroline? What is her next solo album going to be? Close. Are you going to be very much present on her future release? I mean, we're, do, we're writing a, a, a very large amount of music together, and it's all really good. 
And has some of that been written in Barcelona? Because I know you've been hanging out together here. Yeah, no, Sago. actually, yeah, 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 yeah. Some of it was written here. Uh, the majority was written in my studio in London. But yeah, no, we did a lot of work in Barcelona. That was a very fun time, actually. Yeah. And you had Sega Bodega around because he used yeah, to yeah, live here. Yeah, his fucking computer exploded. <laughs> oh no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What did but, you? I mean, that's his fault. You're you're almost like a Barcelona resident. What what places do you like in Barcelona to? Uh, Nizza make... now. Oh, yes. <laughs> What about the the bars? I the went streets? to a few record shops actually because like just just to like find out a bit more about Machina music that I really really like. That, there's that massive c uh, cemetery just outside Barcelona as well. I really really like that place because it's very uh, very my lord, which is an aesthetic that I appreciate. Imagine going to the cemetery and finding Danielle Harold just <laughs> going around. But tell us about hype. Like hyper pop is still something that boomers like me are like. When we try and explain people our age, it's like, what is hyper pop? Well, are you familiar with Warp Records? Are you familiar with FX Twin? But are you familiar with MTV? Are you familiar with Mariah Carey? Are you familiar with Arca, etc., etc.? How important has Hudson Mohawk and Rusty and Cashmere Cat been? for the development of the genre known as hyperpop, um, in your opinion? I am not the person to ask about that. I, I literally don't know anything about hyperpop, to be honest. It's a thing that sort of like de developed after, like, like I, I was involved in like the PC music scene, obviously. Like that, the founding member with AG, like we were writing a lot of stuff. Hyperpop seemed to like sort of like just sort of grow as a sort of like thing, like not not as a direct I, I i literally don't even know enough to, about it to even comment on how it was formed but i but i just honestly just don't know anything about it i like it's it, it, it it's great that it's a thing and i love to hear that anything i've done has sort of influenced anybody but i i have to say in term, in response to what you said arca uh, sorry hudson mohawk and rusty are the true like godfathers of so much electronic music we hear these days and it's just yeah and it's interesting yeah they 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 deserve a lot of championing definitely you said caroline is and you worked with her and you've been doing a lot of producing this year but have you been doing something for like for your own yeah like... i've been mainly writing for my own project so is there some new project coming soon? Yes. Or is it... Well, I don't know about soon, but I've been writing like my own stuff for so long, like all the whole time I've been writing. I've just been just been waiting till it's right, basically. So can we expect as fans something soon, or it's just a, a project you're writing in? Like you're in the era of inspiration and just writing. I don't know. I'll, I'll release it when it's ready. I, I can't. Okay. I can't tell you that. Because one of the things that's amazing about you and, and A.G. Cook is like how like no nonsense. It's like, look, just put it out and stuff and, and, and it makes sense once it's out. Um, yeah, yeah, but it has to be the right time. Because like if it's not, cause if, you're really, if it's pop music, then there's loads of other factors involved in, in terms of the, the way it gets released. Because it has to be released in terms of like other stuff being released. But if it's not pop music, if it's stuff that's just like a project of your own that is music that you like, just that you just like legitimately just want to hear out in the world, it has to be exactly right. And like it, that takes as long as it takes. And so like I'm yeah. So I've just been working on this stuff for a long time now. But like yeah, it's it's it's, it's quite something I have to say. But you put out something quite recently with today. Basically, you um, collabed with Luling. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. And and it came out today. So it's kind of. I feel like 
you have this deep connection or maybe it's just the egomaniac in me again, but you have this deep connection yeah. with Spain because it's not only DJ Pastis, but also Luli, who is also not an icon yet, but she's obviously going to be an icon soon. And, and you remixed um, the song of the summer, which is fun. And, and how that this came summer. up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no, that was, that was just... A, I, I'm a big fan of doing remixes. One of my original inspirations was Hudson Mohawk's remixes of other stuff. And the way he was so free with genre and basically just had the, took the liability to... Um, just like he, he was just going to like some piano house and then just have like a really shit sounding MIDI saxophone playing like an amazing riff and just like and then just turn it into just like just like nonsense, just like just arpeggios for a bit. Hmm. Just that total freedom, not total freedom, the DJ, but the, 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 the freedom in Hudson Mohawk's approach to remixing just really made me realize that sort of remixes are a, a fantastic place to just explore things. Mm -hmm. And I'm very lucky now in that I can... I have this freedom. I've had so many of my remixes rejected. Now it's like, it's almost like I have to put in a clause now oh. saying like, you have to accept this remix if I send it to you now. Because it's just like, because often, this is an, a big problem with the music industry. A&Rs and managers have an idea of what the song sounds like when they ask you to do it. And they don't tell you that. And then when it doesn't sound like what they think it's going to sound like, they're like, oh, wait, 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 wait a minute. So it's just like, now, nowadays, I, I have uh, people expect something like bonkers sometimes, sometimes very straight ahead from me. But like, yeah, if one listens to all my remixes, you'll hear a lot of different stuff. Like one of my favorite ever remixes is one is, is a very obscure one that's quite hard to find. And it was for uh, Chris or Christine of the Queens. Um, and it was an early, an early song called Tilted. It's very early, early on one, and uh, and I, I think I, and I think Christine was actually into it at the time, but the management were like, I'm not sure about this because it was just really like dry arpeggios. It kind of sounded like uh, one of my favorite pieces of all time, which is uh, Einstein on the Beach by Philip Glass, and it was kind mm. of inspired by that. And um, uh, it, 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 I was just used to basically everything I did being rejected at, at that point. So. I, I, but I've, it's never really like concerned me. At that point, it was like a financial concern. But uh, <laughs> but um, but like aesthetically, it, the, the, I've always only been able to do this this one thing, and that's what I've always just stuck to. Well, thank you so much, Danny L. Harl, for being our main guest here on the weekly review, broadcasting in this or taping from the Benny Dorms Robin Hood Magic Camp. Rain. And uh, with this apocalyptic rain, it's like we feel like we're part of the immersive experience of being in the hardcore multiverse. <laughs> and tonight we are going to go hardcore. Thank you so much. This was the weekly review. Thank you. Good evening.